Hi, listeners. We're back with another episode of Understand South Carolina. Today, we're going to be talking about masks and mask mandates in South Carolina, where you have to wear them, where you don't. I'm Emery Parker. And I'm Emily Williams. We're going to be talking with Andy Shane, who leads our Columbia Bureau, and data producer Brian Brousset, who recently teamed up for a rundown of all of these mask-wearing policies recently adopted across the state. And then later in the episode, we'll hear from Dave Infante, who writes about food and beverage, and he's going to give us a walkthrough of proper mask-wearing etiquette for bars and restaurants. Yeah, and this is our second mask-related episode of Understand SC. Um, you might remember just before Memorial Day weekend, we talked with reporters about how many South Carolinians seem to be going maskless despite health officials' guidance. Now, as our state faces a sharp rise in coronavirus cases, messages about wearing masks have become much more urgent, and a growing number of city councils are passing ordinances that mandate mask use in public places. Right, and before we dive in, just to beat a dead horse again, I know we've talked about this a lot on the on the show, but... Um, reason why we're, we're talking about masks is that masks are effective at preventing the spread of coronavirus, but only if everybody wears them. So that's the rub. Um, but let's let's dive right in. The latest story that we published says that uh, as of July 4th, uh, more than 900,000 people in, in South Carolina could be under uh, coronavirus mask orders. That's that's about a quarter a little under a quarter of the state's population. Andy, can you maybe give us kind of just a, an overview of, of where things stand and what the latest developments are? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, we have at the moment, and as, of, as we're doing this podcast, um, you know, 23 or cities and, and one county that have, uh, at least that we know of, have passed ordinances. And then we've got another uh, half dozen um, scheduled in the next day or two uh, to, to join the list. Um, you know, we're talking yeah. about big, you know, we're talking about some of the bigger cities in the, in the, in the state, Charleston, Columbia, Mount Pleasant, Greenville. Uh, but we're also talking a lot about coastal cities. I mean, pretty much going from North Myrtle Beach to Hilton Head, uh, a, 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 a many, many coastal cities have passed mask ordinances just ahead of the July 4th holiday. And of course, we've been seeing a big spike in cases in the coastal counties as well. So that kind of seems to coincide, uh, you know, uh, these decisions seem to coincide with this spike in, in cases. Um, yeah. The reason they're doing, you know, so, I mean, it's it's just been this sort of a recent explosion in, uh, in these mass ordinances as the cases have grown. Yeah, um, and just for, for full transparency for our listeners, we are recording this episode uh, Wednesday morning, July 1st. So it, just in case things change between when we recorded and, and when you're hearing this. Just as, just as we were setting up, Sullivan's Island passed, a, I'm sorry, just as we set up, Sullivan's Island passed. North. There we go. So, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll, I'll keep you posted. I, I, I get texts. I'll, I'll, uh, yeah, we'll, the risk, of, risk of podcasting. Okay, so I guess now we, we've got another one to add, but do either of you have in front of you, just out of curiosity, like the count, how, how many cities in the state are, are requiring masks right now? I have 23 cities and one county at the moment. Yeah. So one of the things I, I've heard um, a lot about, uh, one of the, or I guess I should say, one of the questions I keep hearing uh, people ask is, is, these policies are not all identical. So I guess let, let's kind of try to walk through and explain what what are, let's start with like, what, what do most of these policies have in common? What they have in common is grocery stores and pharmacies. Uh, at a minimum, um, you know, they, 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 they want you to wear masks in the place where you have to go. You have to go to a grocery store to get obviously get food. You have to go to pharmacies to get the medicine and and other things that you, that you need. So they all cover that. 
Um, but most of the ordinances that have passed so far were, were go to all retail businesses, all commercial businesses. So whether you're going to a bulk, you're going to the dry cleaner, um, you're going to see your insurance agent, they expect you to wear a mask. Some of them take it even a step farther and talk about wearing masks where six feet, um, six foot uh, spacing is not easy, like on a street. Uh, that's, that's Charleston's, for example. You know, you can imagine in a tourist town, it's not always easy uh, to get away from people. Um, and so they're suggesting that you wear a mask as you're walking. So what happens in these cities that have these mask mandates if someone is found not wearing a mask or maybe uh, doesn't respond to a warning that they're not wearing a mask? I know some cities are fining people, at least, or at least plan to do so, right? Yes, they do. Um, most of these cities um, have a $25 fine. It's a ticket. It's a citation. Uh, most of them will say that they're going to give you a warning ahead of time, you know, give you a chance. I think really a lot of these ordinances are more about just encouraging people, you know, putting in writing, making it more formal that they wear masks. And I think, you know, what they're hoping is that if you're not wearing one in a situation and you're reminded to wear one or that there's an ordinance, you'll do it. You'll comply without having to get a ticket. But obviously you do need a little bit of a, when you have a carrot and a stick, you need a stick. Uh, and uh, and um, for those who won't wear a mask, so twenty five dollars is, is is usually the fine. Some places it's fifty, a few, a couple it's a hundred. But in uh, Hilton Head and Beaufort County, uh, we're talking about uh, a misdemeanor. They can get you five hundred dollar fine or up to thirty days in jail. So uh, watch out if uh, if you're down there. They're they're taking that very seriously uh, in that neck of the woods. So um, the other thing you hear about too is there are some some cities in, in South Carolina, uh, Hanahan, Lancaster, come to mind that have passed or are going to pass resolutions that are just, we encourage you to wear a mask. It's do your duty, help, help stop the spread. There isn't a penalty with those. We're not counting those on our list um, because they don't really come with a penalty. They're just more of, of a, uh, a formal reminder. So, Brian, one of the things that we wanted to ask you about is is how you visualize these new policies. So I know you put together a couple different things, a, a graphic kind of guiding people um, on some of the details of these ordinances and then also um, a map, right, to show us how much of the state has adopted these policies. So can you kind of walk us through how you um, created those and, and thought through how to explain this for people visually? Yeah, of course. So I worked with Andy Shane to develop a map um, of the state of South Carolina, uh, basically outlining uh, where these cities are that are having these mask ordinances. Uh, I also worked with uh, one of our newer hires, Matt Rasnick. He's an uh, audience producer um, with a little bit of uh, product background as well. So he kind of took point on creating this interactive table that's also embedded in the story. The main thinking behind these two graphics was we want uh, things that will look good on a cell phone. Where, where most of our users are going to be accessing them. Uh, and we want graphics that, at a glance, will communicate information. We don't want to make the reader you know, dig or tap around too much uh, to get the relevant information. I think, I think the strength of the table is that you can easily kind of search for your uh, city or municipality and kind of get the information quickly. Uh, but you don't really get a sense of the kind of trend that a lot of these cities that are, are doing these mask ordinances are on the coast. Um, a lot of them are coastal. Um, and a lot of them are in cities uh, experiencing pretty severe outbreaks right now. And I think the biggest takeaway from the map is connected to that in, in that, you know, you see Columbia has an ordinance, Charleston has an ordinance, Greenville has an ordinance. But when you see these municipalities on a map, you see just how tiny they are, which is kind of, I think, an important Piece of context, you know, if, if you're looking at the COVID dashboard every day, you're probably seeing Charleston County, Horry County have these really outsized bubbles. 
um, it can be easy to forget just how a small geographic area those outbreaks are occurring in. Yeah, I think that that's a great takeaway from the from the map. I mean, I do. I, I guess I, I kind of want to say that maybe it's useful if you're traveling, but also not sure that <laughs> traveling is a great idea right now. But I don't. I don't know. I don't know why people need to move around. <laughs> uh, so hope, hopefully that that's useful to them too. Emery, you bring up a good point. I mean, the, the folks at DHEC said yesterday, we really don't want you going anywhere on July 4th. We don't need, you know, we're, we're finding that people congregating together, not wearing masks, not social distancing, uh, is helping spread this. And we all know it's a, you know, July 4th is on a Saturday this year. So, I mean, it's it's going to be, you know, it would have been, if it, there weren't a COVID, it probably would have been a, a record weekend, a heck of a weekend. Yeah. Um, and and the temptation is going to be there to to do this and and uh, it's interesting that again that the state health authorities are saying you know what if you can stay put yeah good good advice if you if you haven't if somehow you've mm-hmm. been under a rock and you haven't been following the daily updates or been on our dashboard um, we we are just like blowing through records day after day um, it is it is not a good time like it is not a good time to be letting your guard down just generally that's that's pretty good advice. I know, I know everybody's sick and sick and tired of being cooped up at home and 4th of July weekend is usually a, a good time to get out and about, you know, I don't know, maybe find, find something a little bit safer to do a little bit more distant this year than, than what you maybe normally do. I think, I think it's worth noting that regardless, we will see more people moving around this weekend. You know, not, yeah. not everyone will, will take mm-hmm. that, that guidance to stay at home. And we do, we do know that. And, and I think the hope is that people who do decide to move around, go elsewhere, will follow these these masking policies, will take those um, precautions, uh, but also just for for locals too. Maybe you live in Charleston, you don't expect to go somewhere. There will be more people around this weekend. Just the hotel mm-hmm. reservations are showing that um, there will be there will be more people in those in those public places. So um, even if you're not. Uh, yeah. traveling somewhere, it's worth keeping that in mind this weekend. Well, I just, um, I just there will be more a, people out and about. I just thought of a positive spin I can put on travel, which is okay. that um, let's say let's say that you in this you can use our map to help you figure this out. So let's say that that you want to be safe and you don't happen to live like for example in the in the city limits of of Charleston or in the city limits of of one of these new cities that's near you that has enacted a, a mask policy. You can go on our map and maybe find a, a grocery store that is. In the in those uh munis- in in the borders of that municipality, so that you can go to a grocery store that does require masks, even if um maybe as a, as a corporate policy that chain doesn't um so <laughs> good no good yeah. good thought good thought and actually so that that leads me to a question that I think is important and it's coming up for for people as we see all of these different policies pop up across the state, people are asking, are we going to have a statewide mask mandate? Um, Andy, I think this is a question for you. Uh, what's the answer to that? Will we see a policy statewide that's telling people to wear masks? I, I'm, I don't think anytime soon. Um, you know, obviously things are, can, can change. And as, and as, you know, Emery mentioned, we've been hitting records um, every, you know, seemingly um, really pretty much for the past couple of weeks, we've, we've had some of um, pretty much the highest marks in daily cases. Our seven day moving average has been at a, you know, basically, um, you know, uh, maxed out. 
uh, every day has been breaking new I, records. Yeah, I had I had been tweeting. I had been keeping track of. I had been keeping track of how many days in a row it had it had reached a new record, and I'd been tweeting that out every day. And then sometime after I hit like thirty days in a row, I just kind of stopped keeping track of it because it just became the new normal that every day is is the new high for that for that metric. It would almost be more remarkable if we didn't have a record day. <laughs> right. It, it, yeah. It'll, it'll be, I'll, I'll like tweet out when it goes down for the first time, but. Um, yeah, no, for sure. And then, and the other thing that's worrying is, is the percent positive number. That's right. a number that you'd like to see under 10%. Uh, the, 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 uh, the move, the moving um, seven day average being above 10% uh, is now going on, you know, getting close to three weeks. Um, and we're almost, and we're now at, at almost at 20% on a rolling seven day average, which is, um, um, not, uh, not a good number uh, that you want to see. And, and, and these cases coming down. And if you remember, everybody talked about the case numbers going down during the summer because the, um, because the, the, uh, the little molecules or whatever that come out of your mouth and your nose don't travel as much as they do. They don't travel as far or, 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 or as likely to get to you, uh, during warmer weather than it is during colder weather, like when flu gets to be an issue. So, um, you know, but despite that backdrop, uh, Governor Henry Gwinnester has said he's not interested in passing uh, and mandating a statewide uh, mask um, order because he thinks it's A, unenforceable, who's going to enforce it, um, and B, it's impractical just because, um, you know, essentially that, uh, that, that, you know, folks are, you know, you have to use their common sense and that, this is, that they should be, you know, following, you know, the, the same politeness that we do. Uh, as uh, Southern ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know, the, to make sure that we're not, we're, we're doing the right thing. And, um, you know, and so he doesn't really see a need for it. Um, I think he's struggling also legally about it, telling people to do something uh, that isn't necessarily in a state law or in the, or in the state constitution. He struggled with that with the state of home order uh, as well. And as you remember, he was the, we, South Carolina was the last state east of the Mississippi to um, pass a state home order. Um, and he only did that when the cases were really, really spiking, at least what seemed to be a, a big spike uh, you know, back in April. Um, so uh, it's, it, at the moment, um, he has said, I'm not going to do this, but I'm fine with cities doing it. Uh, the state attorney general has said, legally, cities can do this, and local governments can do it. So that's why we're now seeing now, now more than 30 um, you know, communities uh, pass these ordinances already. Um, and uh, I think we're going to get more uh, after the fourth. Legal issues are, are one thing, and um, you know I, I'm not sure what the the way around around those concerns is. But um, if if we're just going to rely on personal responsibility, I gotta say I'm <laughs> I'm a little concerned that that's not going to cut it. Just I mean, anecdotally, walking around here in Charleston, I'm curious what you've seen in Columbia, Andy. But yeah, my, my my wife went to the grocery store yesterday and said and said mm-hmm. you know it was about you know maybe half. So it was a little right. bit more, but still a lot of people not wearing. The the mask ordinance in Charleston goes into effect today. So I I, I guess we'll, it'll be interesting to see um, how that changes behavior. But at least in the last couple of days, I, I have been to, well, I've only been to Costco and they actually require you to wear a mask. So I, I don't really have, I mean, everybody there was, but you have to. Um, but, you know, driving down like King Street, uh, it's it's pretty bleak. I, I estimate that it's maybe like less than 10% of, of the people I see actually wearing masks. I, I would definitely back that up. Um, 
And I think it will also be interesting to see. And of course, it's it's too soon to know, because like you said, this goes into effect today, what we will see in terms of enforcement. Um, I know some people were, were saying today they were seeing a lot of people um, out on the streets this morning, not not wearing masks. So that will be something we're, we're looking out for. But of course, it's too soon to tell uh, what we will see in terms of how cities will be enforcing these new policies. It's going to be really interesting, I think, to just kind of see what this weekend looks like. I feel like Fourth of July weekend is really going to be like a litmus test of both and kind of how seriously people take these ordinances and how effectively they can be enforced. Definitely. And also our our last holiday weekend, Memorial Day weekend, that was when um, attractions were allowed to reopen. Uh, restaurants had recently reopened. And so many people within the tourism industry told me, we got a lot more business that weekend than they expected. So mm. I'm interested to see what happens this weekend. And maybe maybe it won't be that kind of uh, increase in visitation like they saw over that weekend because of the rising cases and because of things like DHEC's guidance saying maybe stay home. Um, so we'll we'll have to see. But I think you're right, Brian. This, this weekend is going to be um, definitely one to watch. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not entirely sure what the science is here, but um, I will say wearing a mask makes you look cooler and more attractive. So <laughs> like that. Keep that in mind. Can't confirm. <laughs> so we started to talk a little bit about the uh, about the data. Um, and I thought we, we happen to have some of our, our big biggest data nerds in the newsroom here on the pod. Um, so I thought it would be a good opportunity to kind of go through uh, some of the numbers, and in particular, kind of talk through our our own dashboard, and you know we've made some some pretty big changes to it in um, the last couple of couple of weeks. Well, let's start with uh, the, the key takeaways from from like where we are right now, and, and again, reminding people we're we're recording Wednesday morning, July first. We've had about sixteen thousand cases of of COVID nineteen in the last two weeks. Uh, that doing some real quick mental math is uh, about 40% of total infections we've seen in the state. As Emory kind of alluded to earlier, we've been seeing kind of record-breaking numbers of cases reported per day, and now it's kind of become the new normal to break a record each day. It would almost be more newsworthy if we if we didn't set a new record. So that seven-day rolling average of reported cases per day just keeps going up, uh, and right now it's sitting, I'm reading this correctly, at about about 1,400 cases per day. You know, we're seeing COVID cases climb in about 35 or so counties across the state. Uh, so, you know, this definitely affects counties outside of Charleston, Richland, Greenville, Ori, kind of what we've been thinking of as hotspot counties. It's, it's growing at quite a few places. Uh, as Shade mentioned earlier, test positivity rate has not been below 10% for quite some time. And I think that's about the summary of what the dashboard is telling yeah. us. Does anybody want to add anything? You know, one of the interesting things, again, we're, we're looking at roll. I like looking at the rolling averages because it takes out the highs and the lows and the, and the one day when something spikes or falls. But what's interesting is, is that the tests, um, that the case numbers, you know, if you compare it like two weeks ago, again, that's an incubation period. Uh, you're talking about basically almost doubling uh, in the, over the past two weeks uh, on cases. And for those who say, well, it's more tests, and obviously more tests are playing a role in it, but tests have only gone up about 46%. Um, 
So, you know, we're seeing a, a much bigger spike in cases than we are in testing, which suggests, again, what, what DHEC has been saying about these, this, this cluster of these folks getting together and, and, and getting and spreading the COVID among themselves and then breaking up and spreading it into their communities, um, uh, as well as, uh, you, know, um, you know, what we've been also hearing about it happening within homes and families and things like that as well. Um, that, uh, I thought it would be a good opportunity to actually just talk about the dashboard itself, um, kind of the logistics behind it and how it works and how it's changed. So this dashboard we're talking about, this is a page on, on our website that we launched way back in March, like when this very first got started. Um, and we've been pretty painstakingly updating it every day since then. But it's undergone some some pretty substantial changes um, in functionality and in design since then. Some of those changes uh, are guided by just changes in the story, changes in what we're learning, and changes in, in the thinking, the discourse that, that happens like on the internet about how to best present this data to, to, to people so that it's understandable. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the changes have been inspired directly by audience feedback. So uh, I want to definitely take the opportunity to encourage people to reach out if you've got questions or suggestions. Uh, we take those very seriously. And in several cases, uh, we've made changes, uh, substantial changes to, to the dashboard um, based on listener feedback. Just walking through some of the visualizations that we have on here. If you, if you go to it now, so if in, in the way to access it is to just go to postandcourier.com. It's there on the homepage. There's a link. Just scroll down. It kind of moves around during the day, depending on you know what what's in the news. But it's always there. It's pretty close to the top. It just says like essential COVID nineteen dashboard. Um, just click that, and it'll take you right there. So okay. So right up top, we've got a big map of the state of South Carolina with a bunch of bubbles. This map replaced a map of the United States that also had a bunch of bubbles. Um, Probably the biggest change that if you haven't looked at our dashboard in the last couple of weeks, you'll notice is that the bubbles by default are no longer total cases. Instead, we've decided to start showing you the number of cases for the last 14 days. Brian, do, can you explain the, the thinking there? Yeah, the dashboard has evolved kind of a lot since we debuted it in March. Um, and when we debuted it in March, you know, the COVID story was just getting started. And it was pretty reasonable to think of uh, the scenario in terms of in terms of total cases, because all those total cases were fairly recent. Now, of course, you know, cases resolve themselves; people get better, um, or they don't. But you know, one way or another, uh, two two months down the line, some of those old cases are going to be of of less interest. So, kind of the guiding philosophy of this latest version of the dashboard is less looking at total infections and more looking at recent infections to give readers a sense of, is the situation today better than it was a week ago or something right. like that? It really is to kind of help make it specific to this time period. You know, 14 days is, is maybe a little bit arbitrary, but the, the reason we chose a number like 14 is because that conceivably captures like the long, the longest, um, possible like incubation period. So really what we're trying to to get at here is that this is this is like maybe an estimate of how many like active cases there might be in the state or where where it's it's most active right now as opposed to where it has been active in 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 the entire course of this. Down below, we have charts showing the 
number of cases reported per day and the number of deaths reported per day. This replaced, uh, originally we had been showing um, cumulative cases over time. Um, this is one of the things we changed in, in response to listener feedback. Uh, the, the kind of pro and con of showing cumulative cases is that it's very smooth and it shows you a trend really easily, but it's it doesn't show you, it's hard to tell if cases are speeding up or slowing down. Cases per day does a much better job of that, but it's very noisy. You know, like one day you'll have, and, and I'm going to use old numbers back in, in the good days, uh, you know, we might have 100 cases one day and then 50 cases the next day and then 150 cases the next day. And that looks really hard. It's really hard to see the, the trend line there. So that's why we went with this, this seven-day average. Um, which is kind of kind of the compromise position. Uh, down below that, we have this this new thing that Brian developed. Uh, tell us about the the county charts. Yeah, for sure. It was so it was inspired by something I saw the New York Times doing um, with countries, uh, where basically they had this grid of uh, individual line charts uh, showing the trends, and it's basically a, a simple calculation: uh, is the number of well, the, is the seven-day rolling average today higher or lower than that seven-day rolling average was uh, two weeks ago? And if it is, then we populate uh, the seven-day rolling average for that county into this grid. Um, and I think when we started doing it, we had, oh, just around 20 counties that were populating on the grid. Uh, they were the only ones where the infection was getting worse over a two-week period. And now, again, we have we have closer to 35 or so. Um, you'll see Charleston, I believe, is leading the pack at 255 yeah. um, new cases per day on a rolling seven-day average. Um, but again, kind of the philosophy here is, is something I was talking about earlier with the mask ordinance map. I think it's a great way to, at a glance, kind of quickly see the trends across quite a few counties. I think it's really useful. And then the, the last last thing I'll talk about um, and the most recent change we made is underneath the county map or underneath the county charts, we had we had for a while a map of all of the zip codes in South Carolina. Um, one, we, we've replaced that. And the reason why we've, we've taken it down is that, um, you know, we, we get a lot of questions. A lot of people talk about like hotspots and that map was useful at a time um, back when we kind of had hotspots and when it was useful to talk about hotspots. But what what has happened now is that we're kind of in a period of this of this pandemic of the spread in our state where it doesn't really make sense to talk about hotspots anymore. Um, and and that's kind of what the map started to show. Uh, but it, it it made the map not useful which is to say that like if you turned the map basically the map had two modes you could look at raw numbers in that case you were just looking at a map of the population of South Carolina and then the other mode was you could you could view the numbers by population and if you did that then basically every zip code lights up the same color so what that's telling you is that the spread is just why like we're now experiencing spread almost everywhere and we really don't have hotspots anymore. The whole state is kind of a hotspot. Um, so what we replaced it with 
uh, is a map, not a map, a chart showing how many positive tests and how many negative tests we've we've gotten per day. Um, and hopefully this gets at another common question that we get, which is, you know, a lot a lot of people seem to think that maybe the reason why we're we're seeing so many new cases is just because we're testing a lot more. And, you know, that's probably a factor. But what this and, and, and Andy got to, got at this earlier, what we're seeing is that not only are the number of cases going up, but the percent positive is going up. So that means that um, as we're doing more tests, we're seeing proportionally more positive tests than you would expect to see if it was just because we were testing more people. And hopefully this map kind of, or this, I keep saying map, hopefully this chart makes that a little bit clearer because what you can kind of see is that uh, the negative tests, the, the, the total number of tests per day, it, it goes up and down. It fluctuates pretty wildly. It, it's, there's a clear upward trend, but it, it fluctuates a lot. The number of positive tests has a very, very nice um, curve upward that doesn't seem to um, be affected by the number of tests per day. And so hopefully what that's communicating to people and hopefully what that's making clear is, is the fact that, no, we, we really are seeing more cases in the state. It's not just that we're testing more. And then lastly on the dashboard, we just have one kind of module that... Uh we took down and then we actually put back up because uh, readers asked for it back. But it's just kind of a way to contextualize where South Carolina is uh, in relation to the rest of the Southeast. Um, it's it's kind of a population-adjusted line chart showing Florida's total infections, Georgia's, North Carolina's, South Carolina's, and Tennessee's. And we've actually, um, South Carolina, around this time last month, was toward the bottom of the pack. You know, the line was yeah. ending up beneath all the other lines terminus. Now it's 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 basically tied for second place uh, with Florida here. Yeah. Uh, after you adjust for population. Yeah, you see it. It you see a real sharp bend in in that curve um, upward. And you see that just, across again, the southeast, right? Um, but you know, perhaps more severe in in South Carolina, just because it's it's surpassed states over the course of that period. Yeah. All right, well, uh, Andy and Brian, thanks so much for joining us. Um, Andy, what's the best way for listeners to get in touch with you? Sure. Um, you, I, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Andy Shane, A-N-D-Y-S-H-A-I-N. Uh, that's a, a popular spot for me. You can also feel free to email me at A-Shane, A-S-H-A-I-N, at postandfurrier.com. All right, and Brian, same question. How, how can people get in touch with you? How can people give us feedback on the dashboard? Well, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Brian Bruce, B-R-Y-A-N-B-R-U-S-S-E-E. -E. My DMs are open. You can also email me at postacourier.com. So joining us next is a uh, food and drink reporter, Dave Infante. Um, and we're going to talk about one specific part about masks, which is wearing them at restaurants. So recently you wrote a piece. Uh, headline is Charleston's restaurants now require masks. Here's how and how not to wear them. So I guess just like tell us a little bit about the piece. Um, what what's what's up with masks in restaurants? Yes, uh, thanks for having me on the pod. What's up with masks in restaurants is uh, it's a requirement in Charleston as of 
the today, the day we're recording it, uh, July one, it goes into effect, and so the ordinance that uh, Charleston City Council passed uh, in an emergency session last week, as you guys know, um, dictates that uh, masks are required in many places, restaurants included, and how to wear them has been a point of uh, some confusion and contention. And in fact, um, in reporting this story, I spoke with um, a couple uh, food safety experts and folks who have been sort of tracking the situation within restaurants and, and sort of restaurants response to the coronavirus pandemic. And they were remarking that, wow, there's really just not a lot of literature or guidance on this situation. Um, for restaurants or for customers. Uh, so uh, with that in mind, we um, we decided to sort of go through some of the motions as though we were uh, as though we were customers uh, at a at a local restaurant here in Charleston and uh, and shoot some shoot some example uh, photos uh, for for customers who uh, need to be dining out uh, during this time and need to wear a mask. Uh, yeah, I think it's worth noting that in the article, one of the first things you point out is that people don't need to be dining out right now. But this is, you know, a guidelines for people who do choose to go out and eat at restaurants in person. And while a lot of it may seem like common sense, I think there were some questions that that popped up in there that I hadn't thought of because I, I haven't dined out at a restaurant during this time. So let's just kind of walk through the process. So Obviously, you're wearing a mask when you walk in, right? Uh, but what what happens from there? Yeah, so when you're when you're approaching and entering the restaurant, you need to be wearing a mask. Uh, the ordinance states that um, entering a building, uh, uh, including a restaurant building, um, it's required. It's a requirement to wear a mask. So the mask is going to be on. It's going to be over your mouth, over your nose. Uh, you're going to operate the same way. Uh, hopefully you've been doing the whole time, which is uh, if there's you know hand sanitizer, use that. Uh, keep that mask on. Um, you're going to interact with with your server or with your your um, your host uh, if if the depending on like the seating schema of the of the restaurant um, to get a table uh, and to and to be seated. And I think it's an important thing to remember that throughout this whole process, like. The, the restaurant staff um, is hopefully going to be very communicative and very sort of prescriptive about where you should be going and when. Um, so take cues from 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 those staffers uh, and, and don't just sort of barrel into a restaurant uh, and, you know, do what you want. Obviously, that's uh, sort of what we're accustomed to doing prior to the pandemic is maybe rolling up to the bar and, and just grabbing a drink and, and then waiting for a table to open or something like that. But you really want to be following the, the instructions that the, that the staff gives you. But yeah, you walk in, you're wearing a mask. Um, if you do, uh, if you get directed to the bar um, or if it's a more casual uh, uh, restaurant where, you know, it's bar service, um, you know, usually there's uh, markings on the floor, so you're staying at a social distance from people. Get up to the bar. You're still wearing a mask. Um, you really don't you don't take that mask off just to interact with a bartender. I was speaking with bar manager uh, at Edmonds Oast, uh, which is where we filmed or we we did the photo shoot, um, and he was saying what they've been seeing is a lot of people, well intentioned, will wear the mask in line while they're standing uh, waiting for the bar, and then. Um, 
once they get to actually place their order, are removing their mask to talk to the bartender. So, I mean, it's just a habit. You know, people people feel everyone. It's very unnatural for people, and and I don't think there's a lot of malice in that behavior. Um, in fact, I think it's just sort of absent mindedness. Like, oh, uh, now I'm talking to someone. I should remove this mask out of politeness, right? Um, but you don't want to do that because the whole point is the mask is there to uh, to extract obstruct the uh the droplets uh the respiratory droplets that are coming out of your mouth um your bartender uh according to the ordinance will also be required to be wearing a mask so there's a mask obstructing uh his or her droplets as well um it's there those are there to keep you both safe and i made the point in the piece that uh most bar tops are not even close to six feet deep um so even a bar, like a, a more ornate bar top with you know uh, a, a counter behind it to to make drinks. Usually, you're looking at between like you know, three and four feet at the very most, and most like the average is more typically uh, around uh, around two feet across. So, the bar alone is not going to keep you far enough away from from the bartender, which is why you need that mask. Have you been Have you been following the bar story in in some of these other states? Uh, looks like. I guess uh, Texas kind of closed their bars and. Uh... Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been paying. The, you're asking about the bar discourse, the nation yeah, the bar, bar discourse. discourse. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Of course, I mean, I've been. You know, as you guys know, I, I'm I'm not from Charleston originally. I was from. I lived in New York City for for years before I moved down here. So I have a lot of friends and media professionals who are in that market. Um, I have a few friends in Texas, uh, and you know, as as journalists. We spend a lot of time, probably too much time on Twitter. So I've also been seeing that sort of like situation unfold there. Um, there's, yeah, I, I don't want to say the debate is raging about like whether people should be allowed to, whether it's a constitutional right to go to a bar. Um, Cause that seems to be giving it a little bit too much credence, but uh, certainly people feel very strongly about their uh, need, uh, their you know, or I guess like desire to, to go drink in these establishments. And we know that's counter to what the top, you know, public health expert in this country um, is recommending we do right now. You know, uh, Dr. Fauci, as you guys, I'm sure noticed yesterday, um, explicitly to Congress was like, yeah, bars, not good. Uh, And, and I mean, I feel for the bar owners, I report, you know, uh, on this industry and I speak to a lot of them and I understand that the troubles are going through, um, from an economic perspective. Um, I feel for the bar owners and I report on this industry. So I speak with a lot of them. I understand like the economic hardship they're going through. And it's, it's worth saying that a lot of them are, are very worried as well about not just the, the, you know, viability of their business, but also the safety of being able to operate. So, they a lot of them that I'm talking to in this market are uh, are very wary of, uh, of of reopening and and maybe don't find it you know they're certainly not happy to hear someone you know, they hear Dr. Fauci say that but uh, but I think that many of them that I speak to like would understand that yeah mm-hmm. I love bars the huge uh, <laughs> cornerstone of a lot of people's social uh, experience but um. As you were getting at earlier, it's kind of hard to imagine almost a, a worse environment for spreading the virus. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, even with masks on, um, 
the things that we love about bars, or at least that loud, I love about crowded. Bars. Yeah, loud, crowded, cozy, uh, uh, sort of like uh, laden with paraphernalia and like uncleanable surfaces. Um, you know, uh, those are. It's like that meme where it's like coronavirus, like looking at that stuff and be like, yeah, like it's, yeah. it's just, it, it, it doesn't seem like a great environment. And so, I mean, even as a, as a drinks reporter, as someone who spends a lot of time covering, um, you know, covering the beverage scene here in Charleston, like I, I have spent very, very little time uh, inside bars, even since they've reopened. Um, that's a personal choice. Uh, there are other people who feel differently, but um, it's, I, I come down on the side of, uh, of, of, I guess, of Dr. Fauci and, and others who who don't see them as a, as a great environment to be in. And I know that you talked with uh, bartenders and, and bar owners before this mask ordinance actually went in place and they were supportive of it, right? Which, which again, like, like we just said, masks won't, you have to take them off at some point if you want to actually consume a, a beverage or, or food, but uh, what were you hearing from, from bartenders and others in terms of how they, f- how they felt about that kind of requirement? Yeah, that's right. So there were, uh, you know, leading up to the, the special session at city council here in Charleston, um, several bartender, uh, uh, groups, um, and owners and just rank and file bartenders, uh, spoke out, uh, in favor of the mask ordinance, which, to some people, and certainly like to the to the hordes of, of Facebook commenters, um, seems a little counterintuitive, right? I mean, the product of a bar is the drink that you order there and, and you drink through your mouth. Masks uh, obstruct uh, drinking, so how does that work, right? Um, and I think you know uh, uh, the U- United States Bartenders Guild uh, Charleston chapter. Um, which is primarily a, a group of, uh, of cocktail bartenders and mixologists. Um, you know, they and um, bar owners around town from bars across the the cost and concept spectrum, right? Everything from um, great dive bars like Rec Room and, and Silver Dollar and uh, 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 Cuddy's um, to you know uh, fancy cocktail bars like. Bar George, which is out in, uh, in James Island, um, just sort of recognized a need for um, some ordinance in place so that they could uh, ask and expect a certain level of like, precaution from their customers. Um, and I think, you know, for these places that have regulars, it's not as much of a problem um, because typically regulars are very... Um, very respectful of the place because they spend a lot of time there and they want to come back there and, and they know the people who work there. Uh, it becomes more challenging for bars that are in um, more high traffic tourist areas that draw more from the hotels that draw from, uh, from the Airbnbs and the, and the bachelor and bachelorette parties and people who are here for the weekend um, because those people have less vested interest in the community. It doesn't mean that they're by default just rolling in and not wearing masks and coughing all over the place. But um, I think it's, it's, a more challenging uh, conversation to have with uh, with out of towners who have, um, you know, who who may have come to South Carolina specifically because it was open and are uh, are not keen to mask up again uh, in the bar. Right, and I'm sure it makes it easier for them as as a, 
a business to say this is the city's rule versus this is our particular business's policy. Um, I briefly wanted to go back to some of the the, the steps that people should be following if if they are to dine out right now. One of those being just from just from walking past uh, some some places that have outdoor dining. It looks like some people, even if they are wearing a mask when they go inside, um, might be taking them off once they get to the table. Uh, what's the what's the policy on that? When do you actually take it off? Should it still be on when you're waiting for your food, when you're ordering? What's the what's the right practice there? Yeah. So I think, you know, like, let's say you skip the bar and you just get seated at your table. Um, I think that there's, there was a lot of confusion around this when I, when I like first started looking into it and I think like opinions, uh, differ, but the, the experts that I spoke with, one from North Carolina state university, one from Clemson university, both food safety experts and PhDs, um, both were very clear on, just because you're seated at a table, even if it's six feet away from uh, from the other tables, um, if you're indoors, especially, um, you really need to have that mask on uh, the, until your food arrives um, and you are preparing to like put a fork full of food into your mouth and chew it. Um, there are a couple of reasons for this. Uh, first of all, uh, as they pointed out, and as many reports have come out. Um, being indoors and having forced air circulating um, is seems to be a increased risk factor um, for for transmission of the virus. Um, I, I know that my understanding is that's not conclusive, but certainly like all indications are such that being indoors and, and being in those types of environments puts you at a higher risk for, for contracting the virus. Um, another thing is you are probably going to be interacting with a server, right? Um, and if you're interacting, if they're coming up to the table, it doesn't really do you any good um, or them any good to, you know, have a mask on, on the table rather than, than covering your face because you're going to be interacting with them. And that's, uh, that's a potential risk. Um, and then the third uh, factor, which is something that uh, uh, Kimberly Baker, who's uh, from Clemson, mentioned is, you know, we are seeing... Um, People go out in groups uh, outside of their nuclear family or outside of their, uh, uh, you know, their cohabitants. Um, so that's their prerogative. Um, but those people may or may not, you know, be carrying be carriers of the virus. They may be asymptomatic carriers, and so you may be sitting at a table with your buddies who you haven't seen for the last couple months, and one of them may be sick, and you're less than six feet away from them. Um, so you're putting yourself and, you know, the rest of your table mates at risk uh, if you don't have a mask up during that time. It all sounds pretty, like, stressful. And I think, you know, even just doing the photo shoot, like, it, there's a lot of mechanics to it. And it's you sort of have to be very deliberate in your thought process, um, which is why, I mean, uh, and we, I wrote the, the piece was meant to be fun. And it, it is, I guess, fun by, by our current standards. But, um, eh, the, the big takeaway that I had is like, man, I, I can't personally, I can't really envision a situation in which this is going to be worth it for me to do um, just because it's a big hassle, right? Like it's weird to sit around a table with a mask on and talking to, to people. Um, it's weird to like 
not be able to order drinks except for at specific times because that's when you're going to like take your mask off and then like drink and eat and you know like feed and then be done and put the mask back on um i think it's it's certainly dining and drinking like we've never experienced it before um and i i suspect that even though the ordinance is in place um you know enforcement i think will be very difficult and i suspect we're going to see a lot of corner cutting um because people are not going to be willing to engage with the hassle um and that sort of defeats the purpose right Mm -hmm. yeah um i will say if any listeners are are planning to go to a bar or restaurant soon um look up dave's piece follow those photos and you know please follow the guidelines and be very very kind to your servers and tip them well they're going through a tough time right now yeah and remember Takeout is still a very viable option. I don't say yes. that just to be flipped, but like if, mm-hmm. you, if you don't, there's no reason you have to be in restaurants right now. Um, there's tip still that other too. Ways. Tip that too. Yes. <laughs> tip tip if you get takeout. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks so much for for joining us and giving us the the rundown of of mask etiquette, and uh, we really appreciate it. Right on. Mask up. All right, listeners, if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for this podcast, you can find us on Twitter at UnderstandSC. Um, Make sure to check out our COVID-19 dashboard, like we were talking about for a lot of this episode, for all the latest uh, facts and figures and, and data on the virus in South Carolina. All right, and that's all. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier in Charleston. Our theme song is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music by searching for Billy, that's with an I-E, Fountain, on Spotify. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. You can get in touch with us by emailing understandsc at postandcourier.com, or, of course, you can tweet at us with any questions or comments. And if you're a fan of the show, please take a second to like us and leave a rating on the Apple Podcast Store. See y'all later.